Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast. I'm Adam. I'm John. And if we sound at all different this episode, it's because we're actually in the same room this time. Actually in the same state this time. Wow, hello, sir. Hello, sir. Nice to see you. Good to see you. Today we have a dinotastic episode for you. We're going to review The Land Before Time from 1988, the animated children's movie classic, and also the 1988 TV show Dino Riders, and also recast Dino Riders. Before we dive in, we want to give a shout out to fellow podcasters Johnny DC and Marvelous Joe, who have a podcast called Dynamic Duel, where they update you on all things Marvel and DC related. They've plugged us a couple times, so we want to return the favor. I've actually guest starred on their Ant-Man episode, so if you need more Adam in your life, check that episode out. In fact, check out all their episodes. In one of our upcoming episodes, we will have them on for a special all-DC Marvel review and casting. But for now, let's get prehistoric and get started with The Land Before Time. This movie was produced by some really big names. You've got Lucas and Spielberg and Kathleen Kennedy behind this one. To start us off, we have a shot where we start into the water with some kind of funky small creatures. Uh, We got some really good music going on. Yeah, music's really good in this one. Yeah, it's uh, James Horner did the music, who did Titanic, Avatar, Braveheart, some amazing soundtracks that this guy's put together, also did The Land Before Time. Oh yeah, definitely a legend in the field. Gone too soon, RIP James Warner. So we have a narrator that sets up that we are in the time of the dinosaurs. We've got leaf eaters and we've got sharp tooths and, you know, the circle of life kind of thing going on here. Uh, Just to kind of get us into the world of dinosaurs and that something is going to come and try and eat you at one point or another. And anyone who is a fan of the uh, 19, I believe, 1989 Batman movie, the narrator was the guy who played Commissioner Gordon on uh, the 19 and the Tim Burton Batmans. I think everyone is a fan of the 1989 Batman movie. I hope so. So we first see Ducky is born. We don't know it's Ducky, but we just know that this is this very cute little thing coming out of an egg. Quick cut to this Triceratops is being born. We find out that it's Sarah. I will say I only realize now at age 31 that it's Sarah spelled C-E-R-A short for Ceratops, which is sort for Triceratops. I never knew that. Yeah, I mind never, blown. I never put that together until I looked it up on IMDb and saw I the credit. Just always assumed forever that it was S A R A or S A R A H or whatever. Mm-hmm. And seeing that it was spelled Sarah as in Triceratops, I was a little bit just shocked that part of my entire childhood was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Almost makes you feel just a little bit dumber, actually. Yes. Thanks, Land Before Time. We then see Littlefoot being bored, and we have kind of the narrator going over for him, saying that, you know, he's pretty much the last hope for his future, because there's no other long necks being born at this time, at least from that herd. Yeah, at least in his family. And do you know who plays the voice of Littlefoot? I do, because I looked it up. Okay. <laughs> uh... What the fuck's his name? Some guy's name, but I know who he also played, and that's what that's that's, <laughs> that's what's the important, important part. Me. Yes, his name is Gabriel Damon, and he is best known to us yes. as playing Spot Conlon in the Newsies, which we covered a, a few episodes ago. I say that what you say is what I say. That same Spot <laughs> Conlon. If you don't know who the hell we're talking to, go back and listen to the Newsies episode. Yep. <laughs> So one thing that I absolutely realized rewatching this movie was the fact of how many shots and just how many scenes were embedded in my brain that mm-hmm. I th- 
just immediately came back to me. Like I was just watching like shot after shot of little things like Littlefoot eating sticks and the way he moved his mouth or different scenes of Sarah butting her head into the rocks or other shit like that. I just immediately went back to like, it just all came back to me watching this movie. I was shocked at how much I retained. It kind of kind of threw me back to back in our daycare, good old country corner in Cumming, Georgia. Worst it, town name yeah. ever. <laughs> yes, Cumming, Georgia. But it just kind of threw me right back there that it, it was like I was a kid again watching that movie. You know, it was crazy. Yeah, I also was surprised at how much I actually did remember of the movie and how much of the animation I had already, I was able to visualize in my head right before it happened. Yeah. Kind of looking at it and going, oh yeah, I remember what happens now. Yes, I remember what happens next. And I do remember that this was one of those movies that was more or less on an endless loop oh, when, yeah. we were, when we were pretty young. So we knew this movie in and out. And so it was it was like proverbially getting back on the bicycle where I remembered everything about the movie right as it was happening, yeah. you know, as opposed to kind of forgetting what was going to come or, you know, what happens. I remembered every little bit of it. Mm-hmm. One other surprising thing, I forgot how short the movie is. Yeah. It's an hour and eight minutes. Yeah. <laughs> That's ridiculously short. I guess it's perfect for nowadays kids where you can just, they have short attention spans. Well, nowadays adults also have yeah. short attention spans. <laughs> so, you know, even though, yeah, it is it is short. It always felt, not that it felt long in a bad way, but it always felt long to me. And I, I guess I can go ahead and say this now. There's something about this movie that is always inherently sad to me. Mm. It mm-hmm. always makes me sad. Maybe it's the sort of orphaned, thing that happens in the movie which we actually haven't really talked about yet yeah, but we'll get to. <laughs> but just the the whole the way the journey goes and and even though spoilers although if you're listening to this i'm assuming you've either seen the movie or listening to this in order to see the movie later maybe who knows or you don't care about or spoilers yeah or you don't care about spoilers even though it has a happy ending it never felt happy to me it always felt like it just had a very sad overtone the entire time, which is probably why I, I stayed away from it for so long after a while, because after a while, it just kind of, it still makes me sad at the end of it. At the end of watching it the, um, the other day, it still kind of made me sad at the end. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely sad moments, but maybe because of the happy ending, I didn't get that same feeling. I mean, I understand there were definitely sad moments, but I still see it as a semi-uplifting movie. Yeah, but... It's got, I, can, I can see what you're talking about. It's though, got a positive message yeah. and everything. I don't know. Maybe it's just the tone of it, yeah. or maybe oh, it has it has enough sad moments. That, like I think there's some there's some inherent darkness to it. Like maybe yes. just like some of the animation. It's very dark feeling for most of it. Like and even like the lighting and just the the way that they colored everything. Yeah. seemed very dark through the majority of it. Well, and also speaking of dark moments, there was about I believe 19 minutes cut from this movie. Because it was too dark. Oh, wow. Scenes uh, mostly involving what they called sharp tooth, but ones that I believe the producer, the director was was against cutting it, but the producers wanted to cut it anyway. But apparently, were was just too. They thought it was too dark for kids. I can see that. Sharp tooth has some very scary moments. Yes. Well, uh, let's get back to the movie before Sharp Tooth. We are pre Sharp Tooth. <laughs> we learn that this herd, which is mixed of multiple different types of dinosaurs are all migrating together to go find food, to go find these tree stars, which are leaves. They have silly names for everything, like there's a tree star for a leaf, there's a sharp tooth for a T-Rex, there's a long neck for a Brachiosaurus, there's the trihorn for the Triceratops, big mouth for the whatever ducky is. Parasaurolophus. Parasaurolophus. You want to say that more confidently? (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you, Adam. (laughs) Parasaurolophus. That's uh, Par- that's what Ducky is. Parasaur. Yeah, I can't pronounce this. 
<laughs> Parasaurolophus. Okay. So whatever Ducky is. Yeah. And so on. We're all heading to, quote unquote, the Great Valley. It's just known as the Great Valley or the Valley. And that's where everybody is going to. Littlefoot is a child and he's unsure if it's real. But we're just heading off to this journey blindly in hopes that we will go find food and not starve to death. So I guess there we're already diving into something deep and dark is we're all going to die or else <laughs> our asses better get to food. Right. So in the next cut, Littlefoot meets Sarah. He's trying to catch a bug. I never understood why he's trying to catch a bug. I mean, it's fine as a kid, but nowadays I'm like, that's a vegetarian. Why would he go after eating a bug? Yeah, maybe he was just playing with it. Okay. He looked like he was going to eat the damn thing. <laughs> well, I guess if you're that starving, you'll, yeah. <laughs> you'll you know, resort to whatever. Yes. So they're both going after this bug. They then just kind of like get this little bit of rivalry going on. They start trying to like headbutt each other and ram each other. And then the Triceratops parents get into the way and stop them. And one thing I realized pretty quickly, this movie is all about racism. <laughs> Three horns never play with long necks. This movie is, it's, it's very much, well, it starts off about being about racism and then kind of overcoming that. Yeah. But you, you definitely get a lot of those aspects that you may not understand as a kid, but it's how these movies try and teach acceptance, I guess. Well, yeah, there are definitely tones of that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, early on, it's very much about Littlefoot keeps getting reminded nobody else plays with long necks or he's not supposed to hang out with people outside of the herd. And even his mother says that. Well, only the long necks really only hang out with other long necks. So I guess it's this new youth generation that's going to break the mold and so fuck the system right go young people go good for them yep so littlefoot and sarah meet again a little bit later trying to catch a frog this time i guess they do love playing with smaller animals uh and they end up playing in the swamp and here we meet Sharptooth, the t-rex villain of the movie shows up and starts chasing them in the swamp and they almost die they hide into the briars all of the scenes again as we already talked about like i just immediately remembered and i knew every shot that was coming and just like exactly what was happening is like as the t-rex was trying to snap at them and what littlefoot was going to do I like it's just all flooded back to me mm -hmm. it's so hard to so we are very narrowly escaping the sharp tooth. They very much get close to being eaten as they're trying to escape, but Littlefoot's mother comes to the rescue and is now battling off the T-Rex. They have an epic battle where T-Rex jumps on her back. Very scary shot. They use a lot of use of like shadow yes. and stuff that it, it is scary. I mean, it's intense for a little kid as much as we watched it, but I thought it was incredibly well done. Like as for actual film, yeah. I'm not terribly surprised that it's got some names like Spielberg and Lucas behind it that might have helped guide it towards this way. Well, and even uh, actually even that shot, I read that uh, there was originally a fleshed out thing where you actually saw the battle oh okay um including you know the part where he takes a chunk out of the mother mm -hmm. but uh they they opted to do it more in shadow because that is pretty gruesome for for little kids but i think the shadow makes it better yeah i agree i think it makes the scene better you don't have to see it to feel it and yeah it works really well in that and i think there's also something to be said about the actual animation mm -hmm. itself in this in this movie um it may seem a, a little dated in some ways, but there were some very interesting shots the way they tried to do things. And there's a scene that we've actually kind of already gone over where the mother is telling Littlefoot about the Great Valley. Mm -hmm. And he asks her, have you seen it? And she stops. 
and she swivels her head all the way around. Yeah. And you get this sense of how big she actually is compared to him by the fact that her head swivels out of frame and takes a good few seconds before it comes back into frame much closer. I've always thought, even as a little kid, before I even really knew anything about film or TV or animation or anything, what a nice shot that was. Yeah. That it and there's a couple of them like this, but that's the one that stuck with me mostly is because you get this, you really do get the sense of how big she is compared to him by how long it actually takes for her head to come all the way around to face him. Yeah, even though this is 2D drawing animation, mm-hmm. it feels because of those kind of shots, it feels like it's in a camera that they're using camera moves right. and camera tricks that just add depth to it. Yes, it's also worth saying that. Uh, this movie was the highest grossing animation movie until The Little Mermaid came out. Oh, wow. So, which is which is still which pretty is big o- deal. It's only one more year, though. Yes, but, I know. <laughs> sorry. But still, given, given you know, Disney's track record mm-hmm. up until that point, that's still a pretty big accomplishment. Exactly. This not being a Disney movie. Yes. Yeah, that is definitely impressive. So, we're, st- we're back to our battle with the mother and the T-Rex. And in the middle of this battle starts a huge earth shake, as they call it. The earthquake splits up the entire herds, and interesting how it worked, the children get separated from the parents <laughs> for every single herd. <laughs> but only one of each. Uh, yes, only one of each. <laughs> so Sarah and Littlefoot were all split up, everyone split up, Her the mother was very badly injured, and Littlefoot goes off and finds her, but she is dying. She can't make it. Man, very heart-wrenching early scene here. Yeah, it is, and, and it... it, it... I remember it hitting me pretty hard even as a kid, which is which says a lot about any movie for me, not just an animated movie. Mm-hmm. So she basically dies off, but before that, trying to get him to just let him know that he needs to make it to the valley. Try and keep pushing on. He needs to find his grandparents because they're all going to have to try and make it to the valley. Yeah. He's obviously saddened. He, he gets very depressed after this, and understandably so. You know, his mother just passed away. He's away from everybody else. He doesn't really know what he's doing. And so he just kind of starts heading off on his journey. Yeah. I mean, at first he doesn't. At first he just, you know, just kind of mopes around and doesn't want to go anywhere. And you have that short scene um, with the dinosaur that calls himself Rooter. Yes. It was actually voiced by the same guy who does the narration. Okay, that that scene seems so unnecessary watching it now, but... From what I understand, because I did read a little bit about it, that it was kind of added so that it could cut a little bit from the seriousness of what just happened with the mother dying, and you could have kind of a a wise old Mm -hmm. dinosaur giving wisdom to the young person about how he can get through. It does in some ways seem unnecessary because that character doesn't come back at all. No, it's very random. But I I can understand the reasoning for it, Mm -hmm. trying to break up, because even after that scene... When you see Littlefoot, he just seems incredibly depressed yeah. and an unwillingness to basically go on at that point. Yeah. So we have the old dinosaur that kind of helps push him on his journey. We get a fairly cute little scene, even though while Littlefoot is depressed of these little pterodactyls that are playing with a cherry or some kind of berry and they're kind of eating them in front of him and one tries to share it. Just, it's cute. I, rem- I mean, I yeah. remember that entire thing. Yeah. And he was just like, oh, that's that's adorable. <laughs> But yeah, he's not really doing much. The tree star kind of comes down on him and he's reminded of his mother's voice. Mm-hmm. We kind of get the well, the voice of his mother just kind of reminding him and telling him and even talk to him post-mortem a little bit of, hey, go make it to the valley. Right. Live. Don't don't sit here and die, please. And I don't know if this is a, a movie trope that I've never noticed before, but you know what that movie you know what movie that scene made me think of with the leaf coming down? Forrest Gump. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I can of see the that. feather coming well, down. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that's if that's a trope that's been used in a lot of movies or if, if maybe they got that idea from that. But I, that just made me think of that. Mm. Okay. One of the more, I guess, also depressing parts is when he sees his own shadow, which is the next scene that we've got. Yes. He seems so happy again. He sees his mom. He's got a huge shadow that's that's casting onto the on these cliffs, and he thinks it's his mother. And he's obviously getting a little bit delusional in his depression. Right. And he runs up to the shadow. It kind of obviously gets smaller and smaller because of the light. And he's not until he licks it <laughs> does he realize that it's not his mom. Yeah. But that is looking, I mean, at first, I think I thought it was, as a kid, I probably thought it was like, oh, this is a silly, cute scene because he thinks it's his mom and is not. Right. Rewatching it now, it's like, fuck, that kid is so depressed. He's delusional. This yeah. is rough. Yeah, it is rough. <laughs> Like I said, there's some very serious tones in this movie. Yeah, it can definitely hit you. We then run into Sarah again, and something I probably should have mentioned earlier, Sarah's a bit of a stubborn bitch. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, not a little bit, a lot of bits. Yeah, a lot of bits. Yeah. <laughs> and, and not even just her, though. Kind of all the three horns are assholes. Like that first one that, you know, stepped in between them, he was like, the dad, he told her that they don't play with long yeah. necks. They're, they're kind of jerks. I don't think I like the three horns. Yeah, they're not nice people. Or dinosaurs. <laughs> uh, so Littlefoot is kind of still all alone. And then we cut to seeing Ducky, which was the first character that we saw being born earlier in the film. And she's just kind of swimming along and she meets Littlefoot, who's just kind of moping by a lake. One thing I've got to say about Ducky, I think it was a child who voiced, voiced her. Yes. But she did a great job. I absolutely love Ducky's voice, Ducky's laugh, everything Ducky, I am two thumbs up on. That's good, because I'm about to make you more depressed. (laughs) Fuck. Are you ready for this? Let's do it. So the girl who voiced Ducky was a a young lady named Judith Barcy, who was about 10 years old. She might have been younger than 10 years old uh, when when she voiced it, because she was 10 when the movie came out, and usually they record these a a year or two beforehand. She died... Four months before the release of this movie. Oh, fuck. Her father killed her and her mother and then killed himself. Oh, fuck that guy. Yeah. Yeah. She so did such a, She could have been a great voice actress. She yes. could have been something well, special. And she had done a few other films up to that point. She had done, in addition to The Land Before Time, which would had not yet come out by the time she had, she had died, she was in All Dogs Go to Heaven. Oh, great movie. She was in... Jaws the Revenge okay. acting. <laughs> not a great movie. <laughs> not, not a great movie, but those were like some of her big ones. And she was, at least in the, you know, in, in voiceover, she was in two really, really good classic animated movies. Mm-hmm. And a classic in our yes. mind. Yeah. And an unfortunate, unfortunate issue with, I, I don't know exactly yeah. what, I'm sure it has something to do with probably depression or mm-hmm. who knows exactly what went on. I didn't want to speculate, but yeah, yeah that was a little, unfortunate. little, yeah, unfortunate, sad moment there. So, transition. (laughs) Ducky is basically kind of bugging Littlefoot. Ducky is also lost from her family, and she wants to join. So, Littlefoot basically at first was skeptical, but then it's like, okay, yes, let's her join and let's this big mouth Ducky kind of, it's a perfect uh, name for Ducky as a big mouth. Mm -hmm. But Ducky is ridiculously cute still. My name's Littlefoot. Mine is Ducky. Yep, that is what it is. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) That character just, I think, really still holds for me because it's just like, just, it's a perfect, adorable little character that 
you kind of you, you can't not like. She's kind of she's kind of the only ball of positivity in in light of all of this. Yeah, kind of between her and Spike are the only real sort of overly positive. Yeah, but Spike is too dumb to not be positive. <laughs> that's that's true. Poor <laughs> <Yeah>. Spike. <laughs> kind of like Crutchy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> go, go over that one again. Yeah. Uh, so to kind of get started on this journey, the two of them they have that cute little scene jumping over cracks and ducky singing her song of don't step on a crack or you'll fall and break your back (laughs) all that little stuff that just kind of immediately kind of comes back and just how fun and adorable it is Mm -hmm. Uh, we then meet our next character to join this ragtag brigade and we've got petrie who they meet in while they're trying to eat some plants is a flyer who can't fly (laughs) he's a yeah a young kid who also got I guess lost from his group and he's having trouble flying and he is a definite scaredy cat, maybe OCD kind of whatever yeah. person, but he's fun. I, I, I like him. He, it's a nice, it's a nice dynamic. They're all fairly, every character is pretty different mm-hmm. as we can't keep getting each new one. None of them are redundant. They're all kind of have different qualities and that kind of adds to, and they're all different types of dinosaurs. So it adds to all the diversity of it, but we can all get along, John. Yes. And Petrie is the, other than Spike, who doesn't really speak, Petrie's the only one of them not voiced by a kid. Who are you? Huh? <laughs> My name Petrie. <laughs> Petrie, huh? Funny name. <laughs> uh, I, I flied? No, you falled. I fall. <laughs> does a great job. I love Petrie's voice, though. Yes. Yeah. Very fast talking, hectic, just wild lines everywhere. But it's a lot of it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Next shot. One thing that we kind of didn't mention was in the earthquake, the T Rex fell and basically went into a T Rex coma for a little bit. It got hit off by the mother's tail and it fell down into like this crevice in which we assume he's dead yeah we thought he might be dead but now we cut to sarah who is being her stubborn thinking she's a badass self well she figured she could walk across this now gorge that has appeared because of the earthquake she knows her family's on the other side so she's just gonna try and go to she's just gonna try and make it up her you know up the other side some way herself she'll find her own way that's just the way she is Mm -hmm. and she comes across the 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 t-rex in kind of a fun way and that she kind of slides down him without realizing it's him until the shadow gives way and reveals the unmoving what you think is a corpse of the t-rex so again more use of just like that good kind of camera work yeah and all that stuff so she's kind of playing tough girl and ramming it and lo and behold that t-rex ain't dead no <laughs> And a great kind of a now, I don't know if it's now overused or if it was no used by then, but any kind of time you have a big monster that you think is dead, it's kind of a close-up of the eye and then the eye opening. Because mm-hmm. um, I've seen that in other... And everything. Everything now. <laughs> everything. Anything, everything that has anything like that. Recently saw it in Game of Thrones yeah. with the dragon that with came the, back. The, the ice dragon. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it is a great one, especially because she gets in close... And she sees her reflection, mm-hmm. and you can see her reflection in the in the eye, and it's a great scene. Yeah. Uh, so she obviously freaks out and runs away, <laughs> and we cut back to Petrie and Littlefoot and Ducky. And one thing I just I just love this little scene 
of Petrie playing with the tree star on top of Littlefoot's flathead. <laughs> yeah. And he's kind of tearing it up, and it's a special tree star because his mother gave it to him. So Littlefoot tells Petrie, hey, stop messing that up. And Petrie's like, oh, I'll protect it. And he does that. He rolls it up, and then he puts it up like kind of like a an army guy holds his rifle. Rifle, yeah. And he does this little, like, march back and forth on Littlefoot's head. and With he, the head bob. And his head bob. And I love that fucking head bob. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but, like, those shots just are so stuck in my head, and I love them. Yeah. Yeah. We've got Petrie doing his march. Um, we kind of really see Petrie as just a scaredy cat through and through. Um, and they all kind of end up running into Sarah, who is still on the runaway from the sharp tooth. Now that Sarah's around people, she's playing tough and big bad Sarah, but mm-hmm. she's really not. In all of her playing around with, she ends up flinging Ducky far away from them. Mm-hmm. And we now meet this new egg. And what the heck is going on? It's surrounded by this little patch of grass and this big ass fat. Well, I don't even know what dinosaur he is. And he's a stegosaurus. Ste- okay, the stegosaurus is we've got Spike coming up. And just a fun, I, I love the little scene of him popping out and then eating all of the little tall grass around his egg. He's, that character spends from pretty much the second he comes out, spends his, the rest of the movie with like a shit-eating grin <laughs> on, <laughs> yes, on his does. face. I think he's, like, he's ignorant. He's just, like, he... This is going to sound crass, but he has the look of somebody who farted in a crowded room and is <laughs> laughing about it to himself. Maybe he does. I, he, uh, he doesn't seem, he's not the smartest character. He's the only one, well, him and the sharp tooth are the only ones that can't talk. Right. And they just make animal noises. Right. Which is interesting. I, want, I don't know why they set that up. It's, it's like they kind of almost made it to dehumanize the two of them. Make, obviously, the sharp tooth as the beast. And then Spike is kind of like the big dumb dog. That follows them around and yeah. helps them and stuff. I also did read that, there, and I don't, I don't know how far into production, pre-production, po- uh, post, you know, however they decided to do this. But my understanding was that the original concept for this movie was that it, there was going to be no talking. Mm. It was all going to be just visual, so visual and you know, animal sounds, but no actual dialogue. As a film person now, I would probably like that. Like, yeah, I think that'd be a very interesting take if you're just using film score and just the animation to tell that story yeah and it was like just them as animals that would to me that'd be very interesting yes. as a kid as a no yeah, as a kid i'd be bored yes to tears but absolutely it could be the koyanis katsi oh. <laughs> for children I don't think I ever expected us to mention Koyanis Katsi in this podcast, uh, but now we have. So now we have all five members of our tribe basically together, and they all set off as a herd, off to the Great Valley, which Littlefoot is trying to get us to. Past the rock that looks like a lawn neck, past the mountains that burn. Mm-hmm. I forgot the rest. Yeah, but yes, exactly. Everything that his mother told him yes. is the way to go. We get a small glimpse of what might be the Great Valley. It's just a small little group of trees, mm-hmm. kind of like a almost a small oasis. And they think they're there and they're getting ready to go. And then we hear this big rumbling and it's a big herd of other long necks come in, devour all of the trees and move on. Mm. Another kind of like semi-depressing moment of yeah. just like a little bit of hope and then now nah, you're fucked. Yep, yeah, snatched it away. Yeah. But uh, even through it though, uh, Littlefoot seems very positive. You're kind of at the end, he goes, well, let's go down and see if we can see, you know, if we can find anything. Yeah, he is kind of, I guess with his own herd now, he is kind of turned into someone who's, he, he wants to push on for his mother, it seems. Yeah. And he wants to get to the Great Valley and he's so determined that it exists 
I think, I mean, because of his mother's voice that has guided him. Yeah. They all have a, there's a cute little scene of them getting down there and then them all working together to try and get some leaves off of Mm -hmm. this semi-tall tree. Teamwork. Yeah. You can do anything, John, if you work together. Yes. (laughs) Or stack on top of each other. Yeah. A cute little scene of Sarah still being stubborn and Mm -hmm. her wanting to get it herself and Littlefoot actually helping her out. And the audience knows that he helped her and she doesn't, but it's just, it's just kind of cute, honestly. Yeah. But one semi-sad, next sad little moment is they're settling in for the night and they kind of all start snuggling up together with Sarah at first and Littlefoot is all by himself and he's hiding in this and he's sleeping in this little footprint. And then everybody else kind of leaves Sarah and wants to snuggle with Littlefoot and they kind of go in there with him and get together and then Sarah's all alone and we're like, oh God, she's so stubborn. She's not going to go in with him. But then I guess she just kind of, you start to see a little bit of a change in her Mm -hmm. and she then joins the other group and they all snuggle together and we realize this is a family. (laughs) (laughs) They're no longer different people from different dinosaur species. species. They are a family. Aw. Yeah. And then in the morning, holy fuck, the sharp tooth is there already. (laughs) It's just like, all right, they wake up and pretty much there's a sharp tooth. Yep. So basically they have a getaway scene. They kind of just get away from the sharp tooth. Nothing too crazy. Just kind of, I think, running. Yeah, just kind of running away from it. Yeah, just kind of run away from the sharp tooth. And they're still just trying to head towards the Great Valley. That's that's all it is. Mm-hmm. And Sarah and Littlefoot end up having a fight because Sarah wants to go on this easier path. Right. And Littlefoot is very set on the way that his mother told him. Mm-hmm. But Sarah wants to go on her path because she's stubborn bitch Sarah. And that's how she works. <laughs> Everyone else is kind of, they're all tired. They just escaped this sharp tooth and they just kind of want to make their way there. And so everyone decides to go with Sarah because it looks like the easier path. And Littlefoot determined he'll go off on his own the harder way, but the way that he feels is right. So once again, Littlefoot is all alone. We see back and forth, Littlefoot is in this group of loving family, then he's ripped away from it, and then he's got a new little family, and now he's ripped away from it again. He gets a little bit sad and is walking off on his own, and lo and behold, the kids get in trouble because their (laughs) path is not the easy path. No. It's the path of lava. Why the hell did (laughs) they went the path of lava? So Littlefoot apparently wasn't really ended up going his own direction. He kind of ended up following them, and he jumps in to to save them, to help them out. Uh, It's really kind of quick. You don't get very much of the split of the team. Right. Within a matter of two minutes, they're back together. Yeah. So that could have been a much more impactful moment, but it really wasn't. But they're all now trying to deal with the troubles of this lava volcano area that they're at. But they really just, they get out of it. They eventually, they make their way out of it. They survive another endeavor. Not too much happens there. Yeah, not really. Uh, And Sarah's just a little embarrassed. That's kind of what happened. I think this is Mm -hmm. kind of the last little bit that switches Sarah from needing to be that loud, leader, stubborn person to, hey, maybe I don't know everything. And then the sharp tooth is still around them. And that's also this main problem. They realize that they have to get rid of the sharp tooth and they have to attack it. And so they are planning their attack and they basically use Ducky as bait to to get the shark tooth to come attack them. They send her in, and it's one of those moments that you see coming, but still, especially as a kid, you kind of see it's coming, but it kind of surprises you every time at the same time, where she's following the sharp tooth into a cave, and she screams to try and get his attention, then she hides, and she looks up, it's gone. 
course, now she just kind of stands there, and then when she turns around, somehow the sharp tooth has, has <laughs> behind, her. behind her has gotten around behind her. Yes. And then that leads us into our situation of trying to lead them because they're trying to lead the sharp tooth to a deep part of a lagoon where... Littlefoot and Spike are going to try and knock this big bowler on top mm-hmm. of him and drown him, essentially, which is a little <laughs> dark. But we also get a somewhat uplifting moment in the chaos of the battle, and Petrie finally figures out how to fly. Yes. He finally figures out how to fly in, in the in the moment where he needs to learn how to fly. Because his friend Ducky is in trouble, he dives down to try and, you know, try and save her. And in his moment of bravery, he figures out how to fly and it's a happy moment like everyone else is smiling while they're trying to do this I fly I fly I fly And so you kind of have Ducky and Petrie kind of fighting the sharp tooth and it finally kind of jumps up on top of the boulder that they're trying to knock down and Littlefoot and Spike just can't get it and here comes the reciprocal moment mm-hmm. here you hear Sarah's scream and here she comes <laughs> All that headbutting she's done <laughs> finally pays off. She comes in, headbutts the boulder, and the whole thing starts to go over. And as he's falling down, Petrie starts to fly away. Sharptooth grabs him with his uh, teeth and pulls him in. Oh, you're, you're just kind of devastated. Like, oh, no. Like We've lost Petrie. Lost he's Petrie. dead. There's all of this and just lost Petrie. And they kind of start walking away. And you just kind of hear Ducky just kind of going, poor Petrie. And then he climbs out. Yeah, <laughs> and then he's and then he's out of it. And then he's out of it. He kind of yeah. loosened himself, made his way around it, and everyone has a happy reunion. So yeah, that I mean that scene had some intense moments, but it was good. You got some closure on the sharp tooth. You yeah. got some closure of Petrie being able to fly and of Sarah coming back together. Now they are officially a family again. Yeah, for such a short scene, it was actually a pretty pivotal moment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So then we have a scene of they. Really don't know where they're going still, but then Littlefoot's mother appears to him in the clouds and talks him to the Great Valley. <coughs> Lion King. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lion King definitely stole that. Yeah. And then they make it to the Great Valley. That's yeah. pretty much how it works. Yeah. And they, everybody is kind of back with their families. You assume that that little group of friends are probably going to stay together and still be friends. Mm-hmm. I hope. Even yeah. though they're back with the rest of their racist family parents. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then that's the end of the movie. Yeah, it very is very quick. It is very quick, and uh... that's the song at the end sucked. <laughs> There's a Diana Ross song that plays say... at the end. Not a good song. No, and to, to me, it didn't fit the feel of the movie. And... No. If we hold on It felt forced just because, yeah. like, yeah, so many animated movies have, like, these songs that and nowadays you can't have an animated child's movie without a song at the end yeah. for them to sing like crazy. And this has that, but it's just not a very good song. Yeah, it really isn't. But my final thoughts on it, 
I enjoyed it. It was, yeah, had some more adult moments than I remember. I loved Ducky. I can't talk enough about it, just how cute she was, and that voice actress did such a great job. Mm-hmm. That character in particular just put a smile on my face every time. But the movie itself, I thought was good, and it had a lot more cinematic moments to it, and some interesting storytelling that a lot of kids' movies don't have. This is not one that I'm gonna really go back and rewatch very much, but it's a movie I will be recommending to children, or will be having children watch or telling them to watch or having my own eventual kids watch it because I do think it's a good film. Yeah, I did like it. And I actually, I I don't want to say I didn't dread watching it again, but I did remember like the sort of sad overtone feeling that I I knew that that was sort of why I stopped watching it initially. And in addition to the fact that we watched it so many times as kids that Mm -hmm. eventually I just got sick of it. But I was uh, pleasantly surprised, I would say, at how... uh, how well everything held up. It does move very fast, so you know it's it's worth a watch if you've never seen it. Right, you know, an, an hour and eight minutes or so. It's it really won't take up that much of your time. And there are a lot of good scenes and a lot of good messages in the movie. It's definitely worth a watch again if you haven't seen it in a long time. Mm-hmm. Just like you, I won't see myself going to watch this again anytime soon. I don't know. I just have I just have this weird association with the movie being too sad. Yeah. I also didn't remember how sad it was, mm-hmm. and maybe that's because I did also watch. Uh, as a kid, I watched like the sequel, and I don't think I, I don't know if I watched the third one. They made like a bajillion sequels. There's like to this thirteen one. of them. Yeah, and I and I only watched at least the second or maybe the third one, and they all just became fluff, and they were yeah. just kind of crap. They were just terrible, like straight to DVD crap films. Yeah, and I forgot how much depth and just actual substance substance yes was in this movie yeah i and thankfully i don't think i've ever seen the other ones so i stopped at one and that's probably all i would ever need and thankfully my kids aren't i they've seen this movie and and i think they like i think my daughter liked it more than my son but they weren't into it so much that they had to see the sequel so i haven't been subjected to that yet yeah and hopefully never will no yeah, very interesting, and, you know, it's worth, I'd say it's worth a watch to just kind of de- dissect it, but at the same time, you could probably pass. <laughs> you could. I would say, if you haven't watched it in a long time, just give it a quick rewatch. Yeah. If you've never seen it, give it a watch. It's where the messages are good, the acting is good. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> if you're prone to depression, don't watch it. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. All right, so now we're going to dive into a probably little-known TV series called Dino Riders from 1988, and that's all it ran. It only lasted one season. It ran for 13 episodes. They directed VHS, I guess, movie a little bit later. It was kind of a unique concept, I would say. It's about two groups of people, well, one group of humans and another group of what kind of looks like mutants, yeah. I guess. Like they all, they resemble different animals. And yeah, they looked a lot like the mutants from Thundercats, kind of. There. Yeah, kind of that same idea, actually. It was a, about these these humans that are fighting. In the first episode, uh, we see them fighting in their spaceships and they try to get away. And so they use this sort of time device to try to escape. Yes, escaping the Rulons, who will rule you. <laughs> the, the names in this show are 
awful. Yeah, they're not great. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. The naming portion of this is not great. And I, I will admit, I still look back fondly on this, and I still enjoyed watching the reruns, despite yeah. some of the faults I'm going to probably mention. Mm-hmm. This show, for me, is much more about nostalgia than it is actual quality. Yeah, what I would agree on particularly is that first episode we definitely owned a VHS of episode one. Yes. I don't know if we had any others because I watched about five episodes and I didn't remember any of the other ones. Yeah. But episode one, it was very similar, I guess, to Land Before Time where it just every scene or shot was flying back to my brain. Just being like, oh, I know this. Yes. I've seen this. Yes. And it, yeah, it became very evident that we owned that VHS. We also owned a couple of the toys. Yes. And that, I mean, that's a huge fond memory for me is just playing with a lot of the toys from, right. from these. That's what, honestly, what the, the cartoons in the 80s were about was mm-hmm. marketing the toys. Yeah. I hate to say this, but George Lucas kind of ruined it for everyone. When he <laughs> scaled down his action figures, that became a huge thing um, with how much money you could actually make from the toys. And I do remember having the toys. and It, and became, it became blatantly obvious rewatching the series now that this show was only made for toy sales. Yes. It was, and I believe it was produced in part by Tyco as well, or at least funded by Tyco for the show yeah. just to sell toys. Just to sell toys, yeah. The concept of the toy and the concept of the show is awesome. You have humans riding dinosaurs with laser guns. That's <laughs> fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, so let's uh, let's kind of get back into just, I'm going to try and make this even briefer, the history. So basically they get sucked back in time to prehistoric Earth. So not only have they moved in time, but they've moved in space and they're in prehistoric Earth, they crash land. Both the Valorians who are the good guys, uh, and the Rulons crash land on Earth. They can't, their ships don't work anymore, so they can't go anywhere. So they basically take over the local fauna, if you will, (laughs) uh, which happens to be dinosaurs. Um, And and the way you can tell who's the good guys and who the bad guys is, is by how they take control of these dinosaurs. The Valorians have this amulet that kind of lets them telepathically somehow communicate their or empathically maybe communicate with the dinosaurs that they're friends. And so it is, it's gone to very kind of great length to let you know that these dinosaurs are in cooperation with the Valorians. The dinosaurs are choosing to help with them. Choosing to help the Valorians. Though, Um, though if I went into your brain and told you something without, without actually having to tell you something, just doing it into your brain through a magical amulet. Yes. That's almost like mind control. A, a little bit. <laughs> especially well, and especially if, if you're basically just conveying feelings or something towards, you know, to a to an animal with notoriously small brains, yes. it is a little bit of a, a mind control. But the Rulons just go straight for the mind control and basically just enslave the dinosaurs with the sort of mind control devices. Called Brain boxes. Brain boxes. <laughs> great, yes. great name. <laughs> <laughs> They're really not the greatest name. And I've I found this to be true with a lot of things. And 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 I think it's it's a thing of great strife for my wife who who always whenever we play games that are good versus evil, I inherently move towards evil. <laughs> the Rulons definitely have the cooler looking dinosaur contraptions. Oh yeah, much cooler looking. They kind of use their technology to not only take control of the dinosaurs, but they basically 
basically arm them with lasers. Essentially, it's mostly just lasers. Yeah, but they have like cool helmets. The brain boxes look cool yeah. on them. They look so much cooler than the Valorians who just like are basically riding dinosaurs with like some attachments on the side. They don't look as cool. Like Rulons like basically have armored dinosaurs, which yes. looks awesome. Yeah. And this show's plot is so goddamn redundant. <laughs> Every single episode is the Rulons are attacking the Valorians for some fucking reason and we have to protect ourselves or the Rulons are trying to get the goddamn crystal so they can go back in time or go back to the future. And then the other side thing is we have to make sure we can control this T-Rex. Oh wait, the T-Rex isn't controllable because it got his brain box knocked off, but we have to trap it again. And oh wait, we have to now... And there's an episode where they kind of use the the T-Rex to attack the Valorians by kidnapping its fucking baby and having the mom and dad T-Rex like trample through the town. It's all about like the T-Rex or redundant attacking for no damn reason really. Yeah. But one thing that is obviously clear, they put a huge emphasis on the T-Rex and just how cool it is and all that stuff. I think because it was the most expensive toy and it was right. the one that all the kids you would want them to, to do or to, to purchase. Yes. You know, mommy, mommy, buy me the sweet T-Rex that costs 10 times more than every other one of the cheesy yes. looking dinosaurs and i i can't remember sure i'm pretty sure we had the yeah t-rex. we had the t-rex and we had krulos do we have a triceratops as well we had something else though i uh, think well, i remember having oh, like, we, yeah. i remember we had some of the i don't remember which, i only remember the t-rex being the specific dinosaur we had i do remember we had krulos i think we had Angkor. we had hammerhead um maybe even that's Rasp. right i remember um, oh, yes i think i remember both rasp which and which I'll, I'll just kind of go into so you kind of have for the Rulons, Krulos is uh, is the leader. They all kind of resembled like mutant animals or sort of anthropomorphic animals almost. Mm-hmm. Krulos looks like a, a lizard. Rasp looks like a cobra. Hammerhead looks like a hammerhead shark. Ankor is an ant. I'm not really sure what the connection was there. And then a few other guys, but those are the only ones worth mentioning. And actually the two biggest ones were Krulos and Rasp mostly. Um, and then you have Valer- Valorians. And there were quite a few of them, actually. Yeah, a lot more than I remembered. Yeah, honestly. a lot more than I just remember. But you have your have, you have your big heavy hitters. You have your leader, who is Questar. Uh, again, the name's not great. <laughs> yeah, he's a Questar. He's gonna be leading the quest. <laughs> you had the little boy whose name was Lad. His name was fucking Lad. <laughs> Lad. Spelled L-L-A-H-D, and, as if that mattered. Yes. And the young, brash kid named Youngstar. Youngstar. And then the only one with a normal name was the only girl whose name was Serena. Yeah. Oh, um, my, my least favorite name of all of these is the blind prophet old man named Mind's Eye. Mind's as in your mind's eye. eye. What the fuck? <laughs> it's well, so it bad. It was the 80s. It was the 80s. So bad. And he's, yeah, he's kind of a, kind of a blind mystic almost then you have kind of these sort of incidental ones it's kind of like it's kind of like watching star trek or star trek next generation where you have your main characters yeah and then other ones who are on the ship but don't get enough attention will show up from episode to episode on in time yeah. reminds me of like yeah gi joe very similar you had yeah. a couple core G, gi joes and then a different episodes you needed a secret random swarmer gi joe yeah. and he'd pop in for that one episode for that or, one episode yes you had characters like gunner and um yeah. gunner oh, was pretty cool Gunner was kind of the angry, old, grizzled vet. Yes. And I, having gone revisited, I kind of stared at the screen, squinting, as if that was going to help my memory. <laughs> Listening to this guy talk and thinking, why does his voice sound so familiar? Mm-hmm. Dinosaurs. Huh. Machines I can handle. But those big bruises are too blasted unpredictable. Then it hit me. It was voiced by Peter Cullen 
who is best known for being the voice of Optimus Prime. Oh, okay. And then it hit me, and that's all I could see is now as as Optimus Prime. If there's one thing this show had, it was good voice acting. It did. It had good voice talent, a lot of good voice talent. Krulos, Uh, in particular, the the main villain's voice. (laughs) The Meloians are still within range. Don't let them escape. Engage tractor beam now. I think it was Frank Welker. It is. Who has done, we've talked about him before. Oh, yeah. Frank Welker probably has more credits on IMDb than anybody in this world. He's been on, if, if there's been any, in fact, he was in The Land Before Time. He did the voice of, he's uncredited, mm-hmm. but it's, he did the voice of Spike. He did the voice of Sharptooth. And uh, he, did, like, he, yeah, he, he does, um, he does animal sounds. Yes. Like, that, that's, he, he also did Bronx in Gargoyles, who was the, the dog like yes. gargoyle. So, any cartoon you've ever seen, Frank Wilker has probably done something for it. Charlie Adler, who is very well known in the voiceover world, um, does Hammerhead. Rob Paulson does yeah. a couple episodes, and he's most people know him from I think he's Yakko, Yakko from, from Animaniacs. Animaniacs. Raphael in the original Ninja, mm. Ninja Turtles cartoon. He, Rob Paulson's very very pro- prolific. To me, that's part of the good, especially now that I'm a little bit more into kind of VO and and mm. knowing a little bit more about the background. When I was a kid, I probably didn't care who did the voice of what but that's stuff i really really love now yeah so that's uh and that's kind of, that's really kind of it it's basically them back and forth mostly it's the cruelons attacking the valorians they're all trying to get home somehow and they're using these dinosaurs was a way of our protection and that's pretty much it it's, yeah, it's such such a redundant series i can absolutely see why it only lasted one season yeah. 13 episodes yeah it probably didn't sell enough toys the first time they didn't no. want to spend the money to renew it as I mentioned the concept is super cool and i still think it's bad ass and it could probably make for a pretty sweet new tv show or movie yeah. nowadays but it's just not particularly well done in, right. in this version. well you'd have to move away from from just worrying about whether or not it was going to sell toys yeah so that is 1988's dino riders All right, and now we're going to do our casting, and since we talked Dino Riders, uh, we're going to cast our vision of a Dino Riders movie. There are quite a few characters, which I attribute to the fact that probably they were trying to sell as many toys as possible, so they introduced a lot of characters. We kind of limited it to a handful of the good guys and just a couple of the main bad guys. Um, So we're going to try and cast Questar, Youngstar, Serena, Mind's Eye, Lad, Gunner, and then Krulos and Rasp as our antagonists in, in this perceived dino riders and most of these people i'd say maybe not mind's eye but everyone else pretty much showed up in every episode mind's yeah. eye popped in every now and then yeah he popped in in the second episode mm-hmm. for is the first time you really see him yeah but to me it would it kind of it would add to because you have your leader then yes. you have your young guy you have your kid you kind of need the wise old yeah. man he's, he's almost like a story jaga from thundercats it's like they took a lot of aspects <laughs> from thundercats and just yes. retweaked it retweaked it for dinosaurs with lasers yeah so let's We'll start with our leader, Questar. If you've seen it, Questar has th- the worst haircut <laughs> this this side of this side of Adam from He-Man. Oh, that's atrocious. So I had to kind of, in my mind, I had to not think of someone in that haircut. But I'll go ahead and pick mine, and mine might be a little too maybe on the nose as someone who is a leader mm-hmm. of a group of people from space. But I went with Chris Pine. 
Oh, Chris Pine. Okay. Chris Pine is my quest star, my leader. Ah. Yeah, it was kind of obvious from his roles in Star Trek that he could fill the role, but I thought he could do a really, really good job. And he kind of fit the character anyway. Similarly, I tried to just put the haircut out of my mind and (laughs) just get away from it. I thought of someone similar. I thought of another one of the famous Chris's. I thought of Chris Evans because Ah. he is another team leader. And one thing that I felt about Questar is he's a bit of a wet blanket. (laughs) <laughs> he he's yes this great leader but he's just kind of lame so i didn't i didn't end up going with chris evans he wasn't my my ultimate pick i ended up going with james marsden another team leader from the x-men yes who is very well known as kind of being the wet blanket yes. of that series yes and even though he's not a blonde and Questar is very much that hair is blonde but yeah i try to just get away from that yeah what i liked about him he's a little bit older than chris evans and i kind of wanted a little bit of that just a little bit more of age to him but james marsden is a strong leader in the in the x-men series and he's definitely kind of like still fairly lame uh, and so that's that's what i liked about him all right well let's go to our kind of our brash young buck our young in, star in if young, you will yes in young star who did you go with so i had two different names that ultimately i liked the best the first one is someone i think you've used twice now and that's taron egerton who i think would be really good for this role but the other name that I ultimately went with, who I think would be awesome for it, is a someone who is kind of like can be a good, strong, brash, you know, stubborn-headed. I'm gonna do whatever I want. Is Michael B. Jordan, and okay. I've mentioned him before. Yes, in I think Thundercats as as a possible young lion type of character. Yeah, but he could be like a potential leader down the line. But he he could play young and brash, but also just cool. And young stars kind of cool yeah and so that's what i like about him and so i think michael b jordan would be good good call. okay i i would say i kind of struggled with this one a little bit my pick might be surprising to you because most of his movies aren't really movies i watch but i've kind of watched him kind of come up as an actor who as a kind of a young brash person which is what young star is i actually end up going with zach efron Okay, I could totally see Hollywood picking Zac Efron for this. I think, yeah. yeah, I think that's a good call. I could see that. Well, and, and kind of, you know, some of the, the stuff he's done lately, it kind of seems like that sort of character. Like someone who's young, brash, will kind of shoot from the hip and, and you know, needs to make mistakes in order to learn things. And he seems like he could he could be that. Yeah, I mean, he's trying hard to be cool in Hollywood now where he's making fun of himself. He's doing a lot of like fun. It was similar to like Channing Tatum, where I definitely started off hating Channing Tatum like a lot of people did. <laughs> Mainly probably just because of jealousy and I'll right. never have those abs. Right. Similar to Zac Efron. Right. Zac Efron started off as a kind of a douchey Disney kid, though. Right. But now both of them are these great looking guys, but they're also, they're chock full into like the action-y comedy stuff. Right. And they're just full sail into that, which makes them honestly a lot more enjoyable to watch because they seem to have a sense of humor and they seem to be able to make fun of themselves. Yeah. Even. It definitely makes him a little bit more likable. All right, so now the uh, the only woman. Mm-hmm. Apparently the only woman on this planet, I <laughs> yes. think. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of Valorians with one female. <laughs> Uh, which is probably uh, either unfortunate for her or good, I guess, yeah. depending on how you look yep. at it. So I'll go ahead and say my pick. I I don't want to say I struggled a little bit. The character itself doesn't make a huge impact. She is not a dynamic character. No. Unfortunately, the only female, and she's just kind of like, she's just this motherly, quiet healer. Yeah. And she's not not an interesting character. No, really. she's really not. So it really, you could put almost anyone in, mm-hmm. in that role and it wouldn't matter. So I figured I would go with someone who I like and would like to see 
see more of, and I went with Haley Atwell. Oh, okay, yeah. From uh, come from from the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. From um, she was in Captain America, and then she had her series. Yeah, um, um, Agent Carter. Agent Carter. Yeah, I really like her. I think she did really well. I was very sad actually when they canceled yep. Agent Carter. I really actually enjoyed that series. I enjoyed the kind of breakup in in time in the MCU that was going on there, and I think she could pull off that kind of role. Yeah. So yeah, I I agree. It's not a perfect role. It's someone that they would need to add some depth to it. But mm-hmm. I tried to think of someone who I thought could play a, like a nice, gentle person who would want to heal and kind of kind of a kind of a quieter person because that Serena was a bit of more of like a quieter you know character. Right. So I ended up going with Carrie Mulligan, who was, uh, she was in Drive opposite okay. Ryan Gosling. She's kind of a vulnerable, quiet person there, but I just felt that she kind of could bring, you know, just like a, a peaceful, nice, nice person <laughs> to the character. And that's, that's, that's who I had. But Carrie Mulligan is, yeah, uh, she's just kind of a white brunette and that kind of fits in with the white brunette that is Serena. <laughs> yeah. But I think the the little bit of characterization in her is like a, a peaceful, quiet healer. And I kind of, I think Carrie Mulligan could do that pretty well. Okay. Now let's go to our wise old blind man, Mind's Eye. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I want to really... change the name. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to change the name for sure. Who did you go with? So you mentioned that Serena was the only female. Well, not in my version, sir. <laughs> My mind's eye, I am going with someone who I felt put together a pretty sweet ancient one, if you will. (laughs) I went with Tilda Swinton, who played the ancient one in Doctor Strange. I thought she did a pretty cool job. I thought it was someone, the mind's eye character, I didn't feel needed to be an old guy. Okay. just needed to be any kind of prophet. And Tilda Swinton's pretty badass at that. And so I, I, I went with her. Okay. I would believe that. I believe that. I went back and forth with a couple of people, and it did seem to see, see, and who knows if this is, if it's just the product of the time or what. I'm sure it's more than just that. For, it pretty much seemed like all the Valorians were just white. Yeah. I mean, even Mind's Eye, who does seem a little bit darker. Yeah, he could have been a black guy. He could have been black. And so actually, initially, I thought maybe Morgan Freeman, but then I actually decided to go in a completely different direction, Uh and I went with Jet Li. Okay. I can see Jet Li pulling. I mean, yeah. He's a little bit older now. He could be the wise guy. He, mm-hmm. he could be the wise man, you know, to break up some stuff. Yeah. You know, and I know in the age of Daredevil that we've had some really good stuff. If you have a blind guy who can do martial arts, it might be a used up trope. But you know what? It would yeah. break up the monotony of what's going on yeah, in there he's, anyway. He's just like a kind of a semi-useless prophet blind guy but this would make him a little bit more interesting a little bit more dynamic in his character yeah i like that. that's a pretty good cool call all right now for the one that i actually the hardest time casting and that was lad yeah i had a really hard time i don't know i have a maybe it's just because i don't watch disney i don't i'm not (laughs) i'm not up on on who's really really good yeah as far as kid actors go well i don't Um, think you have to be a good kid actor to be lad because lad is a fairly annoying character yeah yeah so i'll I'll start with i okay my lad is no one special i mean it's just he's he's a good actor he it's a nolan gould who played luke in modern family the uh the son in modern family you kind of see him growing up through all the years he just kind of has the look i didn't pick him for any other special reason other than i needed a kid around that age kind of look like that and he kind of looked like that yeah 
I kind of picked one for the same reason. Mm-hmm. Although my my lad might be a little bit older than what I pick, and I went with uh, a guy named Nick Robinson who played the older brother in the uh, Jurassic World. Oh, okay. Of the two kids, he played yeah. kind of the older one. He was a douche in that movie. I didn't like him at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, if he if his goal was to play a douche, yeah. then he yeah. did it very very well, <laughs> um, which I think was probably the case. Yeah. But I, you know. It, He's young enough to be the kid, yet probably old enough to do maybe some action-y stuff. I don't know. I would, I would want some more action out of this mm-hmm. series than you know, what we got as a cartoon. Yes. But yeah. Lad, it really was kind of an open-ended thing. All right. Let's move ahead to Gunner, who's kind of your weapon specialist, mm-hmm. if you will. Hence the name. I, in a couple of cases, I had a hard time separating the voice uh, of yeah. the cartoon with who I think yeah, should play. Prime. So yeah, with you know, like I was prime. So I had to kind of separate myself from that and just go with someone who I think could bring personality to the character. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna go ahead and jump in, and I am gonna butcher this guy's name. I went with Christopher Hevju. Okay, he plays Tormund oh. on Game of Thrones, the redhead with the with the oh. eye for Brienne. Okay, Garth. yeah. Um, he's a great, he's cool. I want to see him in more things. I, yeah, I want to see him in more things, and that's kind of why I put him in here. I want to see what he could do with sort of that military-type character. I have a hard time separating him from the beard, but you know what? He could have the beard for all I care. Yeah, I, know I want the beard. I, I know it's kind of military, but <laughs> I don't care. I, I could have, I would have a hard time separating him from the from the beard. You could clean it up, that's fine, but... I don't, he just kind of ha- he seems to have that presence, and he might bring a little bit of humor yep. to what seems like a, kind of a, maybe a little sterile character. Mm-hmm. So, what did you pick? This was the one I thought we were going to pick the same person on. Okay. I, I thought of a first couple names, and I didn't really like them, and then I thought of this guy, and I was like, "Oh, this is it!" And this is an actor that I know we both like, and I know we both wanted him to be Cable in the upcoming. Deadpool movie, but he's not, and that's Stephen Lang. Ah. We're definitely, we like Stephen Lang in Avatar, who played the the villain in Avatar. Yeah. And I just thought of a gristled vet and kind of being the weapon specialist, and I'm like, Stephen Lang would, be, would do really well. I, wa- I really want to see him in more stuff, and I'm like, oh, John likes him too. I bet John <laughs> will pick him too. But even that withstanding, I, just thought, I thought he would be a good fit. Yes. Oh, well, and it, it definitely, you know, his character in Avatar, you could transplant him into this situation mm-hmm. and you know, maybe take a little bit of the asshole <laughs> out of it. And it, I could totally see, I could completely see why he picked. And I don't, you know what? I don't know why he actually didn't come to me. Mm-hmm. And maybe I was a little bit trying to kind of change things up a little bit and a little bit, which is fair. Cause you try not to, I felt like I was a little too kind of typecasty with my Chris Pine selection and, yeah. and, and stuff. But, but no, I like that. I could go and I could go with either one. Yeah. Either, no, either, I think, either yeah, your calls too. Work. All right. So now we got our bad guys in my mind's eye. The voice, I wow! No, you're, I really your mind, no, your I, mind's eye is someone totally different. I really actually did not intend to do that. I was more concerned with the voice than I was who was actually in that, what would have been a costume or a, yeah. a motion capture suit or whatever. That was definitely the difficult part for Krulos because his voice was so good yeah. that it was hard to to try and distinguish a, 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 an actor from that. Yeah, and I went. I went with someone who's actually done something in the same style of voice that I would imagine Krulos would sound like. Mm-hmm. And so it is, in a way, it's its own type of typecasting. I went with Benedict Cumberbatch. Okay, from Smaug. So he did Smaug um, and kind of, you know, somewhat of the deep-voiced con from mm. from that. Because it, obviously it can't, be, it can't be sort of an overly cartoony voice as is in the cartoons, but... To me, I mean, and he could do the motion capture for all I care oh, if they want to pay him for it. Well, I mean, he's, he did it with Smog. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I just kind of thought his voice fit. 
Yeah, the I style, think. and he can be good guy, bad guy. He can mm-hmm. play. He can play. Honestly, I you know you almost want to hate the guy because he's so good. Yeah. at pretty much everything he's in, but uh, you just can't. So yeah, that was my pick. That's a good call. What I wanted to bring with Krulos was more intensity. If we're doing like a live action movie, I want my Krulos to be evil and just mm-hmm. someone who could play very evil and just have a whole bunch of intensity. And so someone who I think could do a decent voice. He doesn't have the greatest voice for it, but he is very intense. And I think he would bring what I would want from a very evil leader of mm-hmm. the group of Rulons. And that's Javier Bardem. Oh. Yeah. He, okay. I think he could, he does villains very well. He's yes. one of our best villains of, you know, actors today. And so, you know, if he's willing to try a very heavy CGI mocap kind of character, I think, which actually I know he is because he's done Pirates of the Caribbean. He's done ah. something with that. So yeah. he's got some, he's, he's definitely done that style before, but I think if he would make his voice do a little bit more of the gruffer side. I was thinking a little bit more of like the no country type of voice, but right. even even a little bit gruffer. I thought he could he would have the weight and the intimidation that I would want from my crewless. But I also like Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, I could well. I could see either one. Mm-hmm. Um and our kind of our you know last one we I I felt like we needed to do more than just one of the mm-hmm. the Rulons. So we went with Rasp because Rasp shows up quite a bit. There's actually I've looked around the rasp in the cartoon actually isn't credited to anyone, so I don't. It's, know. Uh, it's Frank Welker, actually. He did both oh, okay. both Krulos and Rasp. Okay, yeah. So I, in my mind, I couldn't think of a character already. I'm sure there's one out there, and I'm sure if someone mentioned one, it would probably be obvious to me well after the fact. But I couldn't think of anyone who had done a voice similar. And not that I would necessarily want someone to do a voice that mm-hmm. was similar. They would have to put a little bit of sort of snake into it. So I definitely wanted somebody who not only could do acting, but could do the voice. And in my head, I wanted the the tone of the voice to be higher than Krulos. Yeah, definitely. So if Krulos is a bass, Rass is my tenor, I actually end up going with Mark Hamill. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, Mark Hamill's a great voice actor. Yes. Because I, I think he could, you know, first of all, he's totally into the VO stuff and he can get I mean, we've seen with his Joker, he can get his voice mm-hmm. up there. Oh, yeah. Where he needs to. And I bet he, you know, he's a little older now. I bet he could put some rasp behind it, too. So, you know, I just want to see Mark Hamill and things more. <laughs> yeah. I just want to see him in more things. All his voice all over the place. Yes. Yeah. I went with a little bit more personality from or what I know someone could would could act this type of personality. Mm-hmm. I went with a younger person. I wanted somebody, I wanted my Krulos to be kind of the older, more gristled evil leader and then rasp to be a younger you know the second in command yeah who's always a bit of a bitch a little bit of a <laughs> subservient right. person always hoping for that promotion kind of thing but also i want to add a little bit more realism and who could also play someone who is also pretty damn evil yeah but could also be subservient i went with i'm gonna butcher his name i win rayon I can't, I don't know if I, I know I'm not pronouncing it. He played Ramsey Bolton or Ramsey the Bastard in Game of Thrones. And then he's playing Maximus in Inhumans. Inhumans. And for, particularly for Game of Thrones, yes, obviously he is evil and a bad guy, but he was also very subservient to his father. You saw throughout that thing. And so I had a very similar mindset of Rasp's character to Krulos. Okay. And that's, so that's how I, why I went with him. All right. Yeah, I like that. You know what? I would see either one. Yeah, I would go see that movie. And you know what? A movie uh, with good actors about dinosaurs with lasers. Maybe we need that in our life. Damn straight, brother. Preach. And in a day when when the studios are worried about, you know, using basically things that already have marketability because they're Mm -hmm. already out there. There is actually a a bit of a cult following for for Dino Riders fans of 
especially of our age or yep. around our age. So that's possible. It would be a niche thing. I mean, it might be something like a like a Deadpool where they would have to do it on a little bit of a shoestring budget, but it's still something I'd like to see. Yeah. So those are our picks for Dino Riders. Please join us next time for our spooky Halloween episode where we review Hocus Pocus, Are You Afraid of the Dark, and recast classic movie monsters. If you have any questions or any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like for us to review as part of your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at at blastpastcast. That's at blastpastcast on both Facebook and Twitter. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.